You're listening to One of One with Sloika, conversations with artists. If you're curious about creators, NFTs, and Web3, you're in the right place. I'm your host, Pam Voth. Let's go. Hello, welcome. Today I'm talking with Dasha Pears. She's an award-winning artist based in Helsinki, Finland, and her pieces are focused on portraying what might be going on in our inner worlds. Dasha makes psycho-realistic art, meaning she represents emotions and psychological states as tangible or realistic. She has a number of works available on Sloika, and she's just opened her very first solo gallery show called Inside Out at the Tate Gallery in San Francisco. How was the gallery? Welcome, Dasha. <laughs> thanks, Pam, and thanks for having me. Yeah, how was it in San Francisco? I used to live there, and I always love haunting the galleries, but... Well, it was amazing. People were very welcoming. Many people attended the opening, which I also was there as well. I gave an artist talk and we had many questions. I always value an opportunity to talk directly to people who resonate with my work because, of course, nowadays, mostly it happens just through online and Instagram or like podcasts like this. But... When you have an opportunity to talk to people directly, to see how they interact with your work, which is on the wall, is just unbelievably precious. Yeah, I can imagine. Did you enter into any sort of one-on-one conversations with anyone there? Yeah, there were a few interesting ones. People were wondering about how my process is organized, creative process, how do I plan all those shoots that I do or that sort of come spontaneously and I was explaining that I have two ways of reading my artworks and also one interesting feedback was that my artworks appeared happy people which is a bit new to me because I always think that the main emotion that comes through that is kind of melancholy some of them I think they're more upbeat because of colors. Maybe others are a little bit, I wouldn't say sad, but introspective, maybe. But happy is a new thing. But that's the beauty of it, actually. It evokes different emotions in people and different reactions. It all depends on the viewer in the end of the day. I wonder, because your works are so beautifully minimalistic and you know nothing's in there that doesn't belong because you work really hard too like this is exactly what I want to show you and you know as photographers that we're allowed to cut things out (laughs) and only put those things in but I wonder if it's that sort of very fresh open simpleness that appeals to this like letting go of so much baggage and people in San Francisco of course are cramped and living very close together in small spaces and maybe they're Maybe they have a more cluttered life. I wonder if that sort of simple space that you create, and I don't know the works that were there actually, but I wonder if that caused this feeling of happiness. What do you think? I think that in general, that's the reaction that people have when seeing my work. And it's interesting and surprising. And it's, there is some kind of a story there. Also, there is nothing that takes your attention off the story. So... Yeah, it's kind of like, oh, the breath of fresh air. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and your stories are always about those inside emotions and what's going on in the mind. And then you really translate that into some visual thing that we can hang on to. 
Can you talk about that term, psychorealism? How did you come up with that? I was for a long time contemplating on what or how can I describe what I do. And of course, people are asking, like, what is this art? Is this surrealism? Is this conceptual photography? And all of those are, they can relate to this. However, I felt that the main goal of my art is to expose some kind of psychological states or thoughts or feelings, emotions that we usually hide behind our faces, so to say. And I mean, of course, there are some emotions that are visible, but I'm not speaking to those. I'm mostly interested in the hidden ones, in the ones that we like to hide and maybe sometimes suppress even. And the ones that are sometimes hard to accept, like maybe doubts or fears or worries, which can be kind of unpretty. But at the same time, if we feel them or if we actually notice them, they can be viewed as a natural part of life and actually beautiful as life is. So this is what feeds into my work. And that's why I came up with this term. So psychorealism means that I try to depict the reality of what's going on in human psyche. And have you studied psychology? I don't have formal training. I did have a few courses in universities and I attended two university, universities. I have some basics and I also have this natural interest in psychology. I always read psychology books and now I'm re-examining Freud's Interpretation of Dreams. It's a fascinating book. And also I have recently discovered interviews with Carl Jung. Oh, really? Actual video interviews. Those were fascinating to watch and he of course, has so many incredible, not just ideas, but, you know, ways in psychology which can be explored and explored. So, yeah, this is what I'm interested in right now. Mm -hmm. The school of life plus your own interests, right? Yes, yes, yes. I'm always kind of like into the introspective thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Are there any emotional themes that come up again and again, because I see that you're kind of working in like bodies of work that have, you know, visual ties to them. But do you find that when you're working in this like new motif that you're going back to similar themes with those? Yeah. So I have a few projects which are ongoing and a couple which I'm thinking of for continuing as well. First of them is resistance. And that one is about all the difficult Again, emotions which can stop us from doing something that we actually want or like fulfilling our potential or reaching a goal or just doing something like doubt or procrastination or you name it. The other one is called Life of Folds. That one is visually connected by the use of origami, usually birds or planes. I tend to deviate to something that is flying. <laughs> and that one is about all sorts of different emotions that can go through people's heads and bodies as well. So, yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Now, you have a series on Sloika. You have several different works on Sloika, but one of them is called Wander. I think it's just Wander. Can you talk about that one? Yeah, I even saw birds in there too. <laughs> yes, that one was an interesting one for me. It was shot in a magnificent location, which is like tea plantations. It was shot in Russia, in the southern part of Russia. The location was simply breathtaking. However, I couldn't wrap my mind around it sort of and I couldn't for a long time think of what I can actually create there and even after I had the shoot done already I had to leave it for at least six months to understand how it will look in the end. All of the images there, the, the tea plantation it sort of resembles like a maze or a labyrinth yeah, it looks to me like, like, it reminded me of a labyrinth, yeah. Yes, exactly. And of course, it's a great symbol, and different people will attribute different meanings to that symbol, but it can be interpreted like life itself, let's say, where you have so many different paths, and you don't know which one is the red one, and which one should you take, and sometimes it can even seem to you that you're like, going just in circles all all the way and just coming back to the same place and you seem to repeat the same mistakes all over again. So the project is kind of about this and also about giving yourself the time to just wonder Mm -hmm. and not put the pressure of like having a, a concrete goal in front of you. Just Go with the flow and see what happens. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like that theme. I, <laughs> I do that quite a bit. Probably to the consternation of my travel partners sometimes. They're like, where is she going now? My mom always like, squirrel. Because <laughs> I'm always like, well, let's go talk to that person. And, yeah. But this is when the adventure happens, right? Exactly. Uh-huh. When you plan everything, of course, there's much less stress because you kind of like know that you're going here and here and here and then on this day you're doing that at this particular time but then uh, there is no room for life actually like there's no adventure (laughs) in this and also people tend including me tend to get very stressed when everything goes not according to your plan so Right. I always like the line in the song um, freedom's just another word for nothing left to lose Exactly. So it seems like the inside of the human mind is quite a messy place with all of these things going on. How do you like chisel all that out and come up with these beautiful, simple, elegantly expressed artworks? Aside from like the logistics of finding the right place and the right model and, and all of those things. But in your mind, how do you like get to that nugget of meaning? I think that my whole minimalistic art is my way of making sense of the world and also my way of coping with the best. And wh- whenever I look around myself, I see like different things, not at home, but I mean, it, in the street, like nature is messy. We make it even like <laughs> the whole world even messier. I get to create my peace. I get to control my own world. And also what I think I transfer to people is this opportunity to give yourself a breather, actually, to just look at this 
clean and peaceful place on the wall or on the screen if you're looking at it on the screen and just feel yourself in control of it and it kind of gives you some ground you can take a pause relax and then have some strength to go on and have your mess alive. That's that's really fascinating. I think it really does affect a viewer to have something like that to be able to gaze upon, right? Exactly. And this is what I get from people who own my art in their homes. They say, oh, I, when I come back home after a stressful day and many of my collectors, they're like high profile uh, executives and they have like worked with many people teams they manage companies and then they come home and they see this kind of window into another world and kind of gives them peace and ground that's nice do you do your own origami folding i do i do yes i'm not an origami artist in any form i always have to rewatch YouTube videos on how to make the birds or even the planes, which are like the easy thing. However, yeah, it's just easier to make them and it also is kind of like meditative practice <laughs> when you sit down, especially when you need to make like a bunch of them for some works I had to even call like a tea party and uh, invite friends over and they're like, I provide cookies and tea and you guys help me make like a hundred butterflies and well, let's do it. That's funny. How do you choose what symbols are going to go in the piece? Because you said you got a lot of flying things. So we're seeing planes, we're seeing birds, butterflies. What else do you got? I tried to experiment with bunnies. Sometimes I use both. However, I'm drawn to things that fly. <laughs> I'm not sure why. Maybe because it symbolizes freedom for me or hope. It's something that I'm drawn to. But again, everyone will attribute his or her own meaning to the symbol. And this is the beauty of symbols. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they can be interpreted millions of different ways. Yeah, for sure. Well, I remember finding your artwork on Instagram a while ago. Like, I don't know, it's been quite a while that we were um, emailing you and messaging you. And I think it's when you were posting at that time the Synesthetic Letters project. And we're like, Dasha, please bring those over here. And you're like, oh, this is a collaborative project with another artist. But I would love to hear more about the synesthesia particularity, what that condition is and situation is like, and how you found working with another artist. Yeah, so this Synesthetic Letters is one of my favorite projects. It's actually probably one of, or if not the biggest one, because it has all the 26 letters. And um, the project represents each piece is a letter. First of all, it's presented in color, of course, against some kind of a colored background. And it's a part of a human body. It kind of like a portrait with some other elements with props like lots of props and the idea behind the project uh, is connected with the phenomenon of synesthesia it's a very difficult word to pronounce this is a neurological peculiarity that actually quite many people have 
and different senses are connected in people's minds. For example, tastes are connected to color or some sounds are connected to tastes as well, or emotions can be connected to color. I have the synesthesia type, which is called grapheme synesthesia. That means that I see letters and numbers or digits in colors in my mind's eye. This is how I have been uh, since I can remember myself. And that actually is not very rare. A lot of people have it. Currently, they report that it's uh, one in every 50 people has it, this condition. But many people just don't know about it. And I only learned about this when I was listening to an interview with a neuroscientist, uh, V.S. Ramachandran. I think his name was, and uh, he was mentioning people with synesthesia who see letters and colors. So, and he was saying, oh, you know, those people are, oh, wait a minute, is it not common? What kind of those people he's talking about? So I started Googling the thing, and I realized that I have it, but, I mean, not <laughs> every every person has this the same condition. And... Again, for me, for example, letter A is red. And this is quite common for people who have this graphene synesthesia. But other, the colors of other letters, they can be different. Mm-hmm. For me, what I also see in my mind's eye is I see names of people in color. And they usually have the same color as the first letter of the name. And uh, the names of days of the week and months also in color. And when I discovered this, I started asking around, like my friends who has it. Of course, I first contacted my family members. Some <laughs> of them knew anything about it. But then I finally discovered that actually, yes, one of my friends has it. And it came no surprise that she turned out to be a colorist. She's an expert in color. But she was aware of this condition from early on. Like she, like, it's very easy to remember phone numbers back in the day when we didn't have phones like and we need actually to remember numbers when i was little it was my parents were like oh how can you remember all those things it's easy it's yellow and green green blue and then pink so (laughs) kind of like that and she also not not just a specialist in color but she's also an interior designer and a stylist so we were inspired to do this project together took us like three years. We organized all the 26 photo shoots uh, with uh, different models, <laughs> different locations, and with basically zero budget. So it was a lot of fun. I just remember that A, the, the like super long legs to, that makes the A, which is really, really long red pants. Yeah, I was curious about, you, you know, when you heard the person talking and they're like, those people... Like, what was that feeling like? That must have been like, oh, wait, what? It was very, very unusual. (laughs) And actually, I turned out to be not the most peculiar one. There are people with that condition, or I I don't know, you can call it a peculiarity, which have the most weird type for me is the mirror touch synesthesia. For example, if I see you touching your face, I can feel that on my face. And that's crazy. 
That would be a hard one to have. <laughs> it is. It, it is crazy. It's hard for me to understand. But when we started working on the project, I realized that the main message of the project would be is that we never know how the reality is for the person next to you. Like the colors of letters in my head, for example, are completely different from what Jane, my collaborator, has in her head. And then other people can have completely different perceptions. They can feel like anger is yellow for them, or they attribute colors to people, actually. Like, oh, I cannot talk to that person because he's red. And that means that there is no right or wrong in this world. And it's just another perspective, another way of perceiving things. And that's the un underlying so, sort of idea here. Yeah. Because this peculiarity is also kind of like, it's involuntary. People do not try to do it. It's just like by nature's default. Those kinds of ideas I just love exploring. I wonder if you, have you ever done an art piece that tries to explore the synesthesia? Like, I wonder how that would, well, I mean, besides the, the letters, but like, have you done anything just in your other, in your other, I mean, I guess that, I guess that was the one that was kind of like, let's tell you what it looks like to us, you know, and I guess you had to figure out which vision of color you're going to use when you were doing the whole letters. Yeah. Since my, my peculiarity is kind of limited to numbers and to letters, I was very much focused on and also the project was very ambitious. So it's like 26 letters and 26 photo shoots. So I was focusing on this particular way of expressing it. However, as you say, I actually get new ideas how it can be <laughs> expressed. So it's really always nice <laughs> talking to people. I can definitely explore different ways of like creating portraits just in colors because I see names of people in color. I was thinking about trying to, what I was trying to ask is like that moment that you found out that you have this thing that's different than the way other people see the world. I mean, we all show up with what we were given and like that's our reality, right? And so when you discover there's these different perceptions of life and different perceptions of world and even, sen you know, sensory in that sensory way. I mean, that's so that you can't separate that from the person. You can't be like, oh, I'm just going to not have that anymore. You're like, it's that, it's just so ingrained in you. And that, I guess I'm thinking back to the time when you were like, wait a minute, like that discovery feeling. Cause I think that is less like topsy turvy sort of like, it was it disorienting for a bit to be like, wait, doesn't everyone have this? Or like that sort of feeling of when you first discovered that this was specific to you? <laughs> Since I, while reading about this, I also discovered that very many creative people had it, like Vasily Kandinsky, for example, or Vladimir Nabokov, the famous writer. And if you Google it, if people who are listening to this, you Google synesthesia or famous people, celebrities who have synesthesia, there are so many people. And it made me feel a bit more special, I would say. It kind of like fed into my <laughs> ego a little bit. Yeah. But I know that, uh, of course, it can be interpreted in different ways. I haven't heard 
of people being bullied of that directly, but it can be translated. I mean, again, it all depends on how you look on it. In some societies, I think it's cool to be different. In other societies, it's totally not cool to be different. You need to be like to conform. Do you ever try to discover other people who have this? Like, is there like a question or some sort of cue that you get from someone that you're like, oh, I wonder if they have the same thing? And, and how do you broach that subject? I cannot just tell by looking at people if they have it or not, but I try to reach out to those individuals who are members of societies or anesthesia. For example, when I traveled to London and I exhibited this project there, I contacted people from the, I think they have like a British society for anesthesia or something like that. And there are a lot of very interesting people who have all sorts of different types and scientists are still exploring this phenomenon and finding different ways to apply this and even I think they're trying to let's say with my type of synesthesia the perceptions of oh, those colored letters to help people who don't have it read faster or something like that so it has a ways of utilization which are the scientists are exploring creatively. Mm, yeah, I would imagine it's got them working on it. <laughs> Do you see my name Pam in a color? Yes. What color is it? It's black for me because of the P. P letter is also black. It's kind of like a little bit brownish black into that realm. But yeah. Yeah. So do you have different shades? Like when you saw red for A, are there different shades of red? Or is it always like red, red? Because, you know, there's different palettes that are different, like the blue, red, or an orange, red. For me, like, whenever I see one particular letter, it's just one particular shade, always like that. But for different people, it's, of course, there are different shades. Some even can describe taste, feelings like metal, cold, minty. Wow. This is a really fascinating phenomenon. Yeah. I think actually, like, for example, Pharrell has it. Lady Gaga, they reported to have those kind of like, but they have it with with music, like this particular song sounds yellow to them. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's interesting. That's really interesting. Well, I really appreciate you talking so candidly about it. It sounds like a delightful thing to have as part of your world, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. Well, for me, since it's a part of my world, I don't basically notice it. It's like you have two arms and you don't give it much of a thought. Like, okay. Or like you don't think about how you breathe. Right. Uh, results of studies, how they, uh, they compare uh, people who have synesthesia and people who don't have that, that is kind of interesting to see. One of the things that I also read about is that usually people who have synesthesia, when they create a piece of art, can be visual or not visual, something else, it's usually perceived as more harmonious by people who don't have synesthesia. So it's interesting. Wow, that's fascinating. I'm going to do some more reading on it myself and see see what else I can learn about it. So you've got NFTs out there. 
Have you got any new projects in the works that are keeping your mind busy? Well, I do have a few projects that I'm about to start working on. A few very interesting collaborations. I'm not going to disclose it at the moment, but yeah, I, I find collaborations always very refreshing because you can bounce off ideas with another creative person and that transforms you in some way. And then the things that you create after that collaboration, they can be something new as well. So that is interesting. I have a few projects which are, I think, even more minimalistic than the ones that I have published. And they were shot actually in Los Angeles and in San Francisco. Uh, when I traveled there in last October, I find them personally fascinating. One of them is exploring hero, the hero's journey. Have you ever heard of Joseph Campbell and his ideas and his studies? So I was very inspired by a series of his lectures and I put it into work with the new project, which I have just finished and uh, haven't published it yet, haven't released it yet. We'll be all looking for it. I know you you post a lot on Instagram. Is that a main place? I mean, besides your website and of course, like uh, you can see work there, but where else can people find your work? Is it Instagram is a great place? Yes, it's Instagram-appears.art is where I usually am, not physically, but yeah, where I, I can reply to people, for example, quicker. You can find my projects on Behand, which is an Adobe social network for creatives. And it's actually nice to see them organized by project. Because in, on Instagram, you can usually just see one piece at a time. On Behand, it allows you to publish projects. Excellent. Excellent. Well, we're going to be looking for you. Thank you so much for talking with me today. This has been really fun. Thank you. It was fun indeed. Thanks so much.